episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, good morning. Welcome back to Cake for Breakfast. What's going on? I'm in a good vibe this week, if you cannot tell. I have a bunch of like hard deadlines coming up and I feel like for once I'm actually like all over them. Part of the reason being I have a vacation waiting for me. Do you find that too? Like when you have something coming up, I've got Thanksgiving coming up. So it's just easier to like get into your work versus like sitting down to it in January and just being like, oh my God, Christmas is over. Summer is so far away. Like now it's just like real life. But no, I feel like I'm getting these things done because I have something good to look forward to. So maybe that's just part of the game, you know, making good plans, working for the weekend, as they say. <laughs> this week overall has been pretty good. I had a really nice weekend with my boyfriend. As I shared, we've been kind of fighting a bit over some very specific things and I think we just needed a reset. So I decided that like this weekend when he came in, I was just gonna be nice for once. I've been badgering him a lot, not like badger him with things, like I've been on him about stuff lately. Just be like nice and pleasant and honestly it worked. I do think sometimes it's helpful to give the thing that you're like fighting over like a little space, let it breathe, let it just, Take a minute, as I would say, and then come back to the table with your issue. I'm just learning this because I'm very much a, let's figure this out now. Like, I'm having an emotion and I don't feel good about it. I want to talk about this now. And not everybody operates that way. So we'll see. But yeah, things are good. I feel good. Good space to be in. Working out, eating right, doing all the things. But now I'm going to spill a little bit. I had a lunch this week with a friend of mine who was a good friend in my past and we've, you know, stayed in touch. Don't talk, not the friend that you talk to on the regular, but when you see each other, it's like you could not see each other for five years and you see each other, it's just the same, which are really great friends. I love having those kinds of friends. She's gone off and put together a fantastic life for herself. But we sit down to lunch and we're just chatting, you know, as friends do. And she was asking me about what's going on on in my life as I am with her. Then I tell her like, you know what? I'm having a little anxiety over. It's just like the whole getting older thing because I still really want to have a kid. And, and then she like stopped me. She's like, you want to have a kid? That is shocking to me. I always, she's like, I always thought you were such a career gal, Jess. Like there's no way you're having kids. And I, I don't know. It just like shocked me. It just like hit me the wrong way. Like I thought, of course I want to have kids. And then I was like, wait, am I at this age where people are starting to think like when I was 25, it was fine. You're like, oh yeah, career, career girl who also wants to have kids. But now like, is that the way people look at me? Cause I have not made that decision yet. It was stressful and honestly kind of annoying because if I was a male in my early 30s, like I'd be praised, oh, he's working so hard, no family for him yet, he's gonna get a great wife down the road, he's fine. But as a woman, it's like this whole narrative over like not wanting kids and it really upset me, it really, I, but I didn't react. That's what therapy actually has done really well for me. In normal times, I would be like, what do you mean? And like rip my friend's head off. But instead I was like, oh my gosh, no, let's just stop talking. Like, of course I want kids, but it gives me anxiety. Let's just stop talking about it. And it worked, it was fine. We left on a great note. My friend paid for the beautiful lunch, so generous of her, but it, it hit a nerve. And I think what I learned from this situation though is I don't always need to react. I don't always need to have a huge reaction. It almost like overcompensates maybe for like my insecurity. And here's the thing, like, I obviously really want to have a kid or kids someday, but because of the age I'm at, people start asking questions and oh, it's just brutal. But for right now, I am focused on my business, focused on my podcast, and hopefully I will be fortunate enough to have kids down the line. But the judgment, the judgment is brutal. Okay, guys, sorry, not trying to get so emo today. <laughs> anyway, I did mention I'm pumped for Thanksgiving though, right? <laughs> About a thousand times, I know, I know. All right, I have harped on this like a thousand and one times, but because I am so grateful to each and every one of you who listen to my show each week, I wanna keep reminding you guys I am noticing it more and more and more. The supply chain issues get ahead of your buying. This is a little crazy of me, but I love like Cheetos. I love like the Cheeto puffs. It's a treat. 
I went to three, C- I live in New York City, the center of it. I went to three different CVSs because I was craving like a little Cheeto snack. They're all like, sorry, backed up because of supply chain. A freaking Cheeto, obviously, that means they're shipping them in from overseas. Another thing I am starting to second guess buying. But it's just going to get worse and worse. So Black Friday coming up, I like I'm going to get all of my Christmas shopping done around Thanksgiving. I'm noticing it at Whole Foods with like different foods all out of stock. Those like, you know, those things that uh, say like the cheeses, it'll like come up and be like, sorry, out of stock. It's not just like the CVSs or as in Canada, we'd call them like a shopper's drug mart. It's literally the Whole Foods, the supermarkets. Like we're out of, we're running out of food. This whole thing's a mess. I have no sympathy for Amazon. Pay the high air prices. We paid you back in billions throughout the pandemic. So guys, get this figured out ASAP, please. Thank you. I am in a bit of a mood today. Anyway. Okay. Now for the show today, we're going to hit some hot topics. And then I've got a reality TV star coming on the show today, Mr. Tyler Whitman. He's on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York TV show. Now, as most of you know, I am obsessed with bougie real estate. It's like my porn. I love looking at like those huge sales, those like $10 million apartment sales. More so, I like looking at it. I I love seeing the space, like what $10 million buys you, like a three-bedroom apartment in New York, two bathrooms maybe, just kidding. But actually, it's pretty significant. But Tyler's like that guy. He started out as like the $1 to $3 million guy, which is the very basic entry-level price point to buying an apartment in New York City. And now he's like the uber-luxury real estate guy. I really liked him. I did not know Tyler ahead of this interview. He was brought to me by a public relations girl that I work with. And just like learning more about him, I started watching his show on TV. Like really cool guy with a really good story. Tyler hit rock bottom, like bottom, 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 bottom. And this guy clawed his way out. So anytime I'm like, oh, like poor me, poor me. I'm always going to think back to this guy because he hit like really big lows. He lost a hundred pounds, overcame addiction and like crawled out of the hole he was in to being on a hit television show. Like it just doesn't get any more inspiring than that. Also, if you've ever thought about gastric bypass surgery, I have never talked to anybody about it. I just sort of always thought of it as this like massive operation. Well, Tyler gives a very different take on it. It, it To him, it sounded like it was this minimally invasive surgery, took a couple days, completely changed his life for the better. So I also don't think he talks about the surgery or that experience in his life a lot. And one point in the interview, I was kind of like, hey, like we, we don't have to keep going here. I think I cut it out of the final show, but I was like, we don't have to. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. He was getting quite emotional. And again, it just hit something in my heart. I was like, I really, I really like this guy. And on top of it, he's 36, already owns a place in New York City, and he owns a place in the Hamptons. Like, just like a really great success story that makes you feel good. You're like, oh, I just want that guy to win. He is, he is truly a winner. All right, but before we get into the interview today, let's hit a couple of hot topics. Okay, market minute. Bitcoin, holy mother Oh my goodness. Bitcoin and Ethereum have rallied to new record highs. Bitcoin hit an all-time record high. So the highest Bitcoin has ever gone in the world of Bitcoin ever existing. It hit its all-time high this week on Tuesday. It ran up to $68,000 a coin. Ethereum ran up to like $4,000 and some. Again, back in 2012, you could buy one Bitcoin for $7. And now this week, it's trading at $68,000 a coin. I'm telling you guys, as someone who's been working in the stock market since 2012, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Like I'm literally watching a new industry being created in front of my eyes. And like, it's just like, you're like, how do I make, how do I get in on this? It's basically like watching the internet be created in front of you. Like I'm excited about it. It's a real, this is officially a real thing. I don't know if anywhere else is seeing this, but I saw it in, I think it was the, what kind of game did I go to? Whatever. It was the football game I went to, the Giants. They had Bitcoin machines like next to the ATMs. And you can, a lot of sports is going into this, as we talked about last week. Aaron Rodgers said he's going to take a part of his salary in Bitcoin. So that, you know, that industry is heading this way. One red flag. 
everybody I like is into it and everyone's talking about it, but Jamie Dimon, who I've always loved, he is the CEO of JP Morgan. The type of like polished white man, you know, hustled, got made his way, wasn't like given it. Like just the type of man I like. He says he doesn't think Bitcoin is worth anything. And this is the CEO of the second most powerful bank in the world. It's got to give you a little pause. They're still working with it. But Jamie's like the last guy on the hill, like arguing it very quickly. He's going to be, you know, he's already being called boomer, the boomer, like the boomer generation. He's not on board. He could be the only, the contrarian, the one guy that's right. Right. Or he looks like the old man getting left behind because he's not moving with the times. Needless to say, this thing is this thing is not stopping. Now, I am a technical trader, which means I like look at the charts. So I look at like the 52-week high, the 52-week low. I look at when something's trading. My favorite trade is like when it's a good stock, like say Lululemon. When Lululemon, which is a company I know is real, it's a good, it's a good company, it's growing. When I see them trading at like their low, their 52-week low, that's an interesting trade for me. Bitcoin right now, 52-week, like bursting at the high. Obviously, I sold my shares too soon. Still high. But here's the thing. Around Christmas last year is when we got this big jump. And then it traded down into the low 30s. So there's just so much volatility, but it's an exciting ride to be on. I really hope it comes down. 45K is still my new entry point. Lastly, people ask me, holy Jess, you're so rich. No, I do not buy an entire coin worth $68,000. You can put as little as $100 into it and just like get in the game. As I always say, not a registered broker. You cannot trade on my advice, but guys, like if you have $100, buy into the, buy into something, get in the game, get in the conversation. Next up, and I really hate having to report on this story, but we need to talk about the eight people who tragically died over the weekend at Travis Scott's concert. I want us to take a second of silence for the eight children who died at this concert. I hate Travis Scott. I've even soured towards the Kardashian machine overall. Travis Scott, as we know, is with Kylie Jenner. They have one baby, baby Stormy, together. She's also currently pregnant with their second child. So for anyone who doesn't know, Travis Scott has this big brand, or it's the name of his album called Astro World. Astro World was turned into this, think of it as like a Coachella type event, this big outdoor event over the weekend in Houston. He sold only general admission tickets. He was trying to recreate that like extreme stadium mosh pit type environment. He's the t- he sells like McDonald's Happy Meals. He sells to kids. He gets everyone so ramped up, so excited about him. It honestly feel it, it would be like me back in the day if the Spice Girls were like, I'm selling general admission tickets, open stadium. I would have gone freaking crazy to be at that concert. Here's the problem. Travis Scott is so violent and so angry and his music just gets everybody so ramped up. And the cons, when he came out, all these kids went so crazy that these mosh pits, people were being trampled and eight kids, nine-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, like kids were being trampled and, and killed. There's one child that they can't identify. You know, there are people, I think the, the oldest person killed was 21, but everyone is 16, 17. And you think like, where are their parents? Maybe the kids snuck out. But like it is, if you're Travis Scott, and you're that famous and that huge and have that many people trying to come to your thing, if your name's on the headline, you have a responsibility to society to protect people, especially when your customer is literally children. Now, make the argument, he's an artist, blah, blah, blah. And normally I'd support that. Like, okay, let them be the artist. They can't be the business person too. But here's the problem. This guy's on stage Constantly in the videos, I reposted them on my Instagram. It was like, come on, everybody, get riled up. Like, that's this whole thing. Get riled up. There's ambulances trying to come into the crowd, and he doesn't cut the music and say, stop, stop, guys. They actually, the media was showing videos from concerts from like Adele and Harry Styles. Both of them said, stop the concert, stop the concert, because people were getting too rowdy at the front. If you have all those people coming to you, you have a responsibility to protect your patron. 
He could see with his own eyes, people getting trampled, people getting hurt. There was no stopping. He got a warning. Hey, there's a, there's a lot of mayhem on the, in the crowd. Could we slow it down? And he kept his act, he kept his uh, concert going for 37 minutes after getting a warning about people being hurt in the crowd, after seeing ambulances coming in to try and save those kids in the crowd. I have nothing to say for this guy. I want him gone. Then he comes out and says, I will be paying for all the funerals. Do you know how gross that is? Like you're telling, okay, don't worry guys. Like I'm going to pay for your kids. Your, your, your nine-year-old, don't worry. I've got his funeral expenses covered. I think a message needs to be sent here. Like think of Chris uh, Brown, right? He beat up Rihanna before the Grammys. Rihanna was his girlfriend. I don't think we heard anything from him for 10 years. Like he just went away. I, I want, I want Travis Scott gone. No respect. It's not fair for these like super elite, powerful people just to hide behind, you know, their money and elite lawyers. If your name is on the event, Travis Scott, which it is, you have a responsibility to your patrons to protect them. I don't want to hear from the Kardashians. I don't want them selling us all their I just, I need space for a minute. People have not released names yet, but can you imagine how painful this is going to be when we're going to be sitting there watching the eight kids' names go up, why they were at the concert, how they were killed in the crowd, and Travis Scott's entire apology video, just disgusting. Like, no remorse. He thinks he's a god. I hate him. (sighs) Okay. That was really heavy. A lot of people are very angry right now and deservedly so. There's a lot of craziness happening in the world right now, but what I can offer you today is a great interview with Tyler Whitman. All right, now let's welcome Tyler Whitman to Cake for Breakfast. All right, you guys, you know I am always pushing better help on you. I think it's the greatest. It's definitely a must have. For whoever you are, it's a great online therapy service. So is there something interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? Mine is always either my anxiety or I have sort of like OCD around other things and therapy really helps calm my mind. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. This service is available for clients worldwide, so no matter where you live, you can access BetterHelp. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. So if you don't like your person, you are not stuck with them. There's also no awkward in changing who you're using and the person like doesn't find out you're good. It's way more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. I want you guys to visit their website, read the testimonials that are posted daily. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Cake for Breakfast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash cake, C-A-K-E. All right, Mr. Tyler Whitman, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. This is how I'm are, excited. How are you doing today? You look gorgeous. You look like you're you headed look- out, yeah, somewhere fancy right now. Uh, you know what? I had a walk through this morning. I'm I'm very excited about today. Not, yeah. I mean, this, I like I like doing podcasts, and I'm getting a new puppy today, Uh-oh. and I'm um, so I'm very excited. Today it's going to be a good day. And where are you getting? What kind of puppy are you getting? So I have a puppy that is a Shorky Poo, and uh, she loves other dogs. Her name is Peggy, and so I decided <laughs> I should just get her another dog, and I also love dogs. So this one is a Shorky, no Poo. Okay, Shorky, no Poo. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with dogs, but I'm assuming that's a cute breed. 
was super cute. Super, super cute. cute. I, I wish I had him right here, but it would Aww. probably make for a distracting podcast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, to start out, can we hear a little bit about yourself? Obviously, the audience knows that you're the famous realtor on Million Dollar Listing New York. Love to hear a bit more about you. Where are you from and where did you grow up? Well, okay, so I'm, I'm from the South. I uh, come from uh, the Florida Panhandle, almost Alabama. And okay. then I technically moved here from Alabama, uh, which is where my family lives now. Um, and, you know, I grew up as kind of like a nerdy, quirky theater kid. Um, you know, I, I was definitely the chubby, <laughs> gay, um, and the only gay kid in the South. And I think a lot of people, when they hear that, like assume like it must have been treacherous to be a, um, a chubby gay boy in the South. And you know, the, I, I grew up in the '90s. I'm 36 now. And uh, anyway, and it wasn't. I actually had it really easy. Um, you know, Good my family. family. I'm very lucky. I have a great family. Uh, both of my parents are, and my extended family are all uh, very progressive um, and very are they supportive. In real estate? What did, no. what industry did they work in in the South? My parents got divorced when I was eight, but I had you know solid relationships with both of them. Um, they did a great job co-parenting. My mom is a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse. She still is. She delivers babies. Oh, wow. And my dad uh, was in the Air Force. He retired when I was in high school, and now he just he works for the the town of Fairhope. Um, just like but good he people. actually just re- oh yeah, good Southern great people. people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, people who can't see you now, you are like the cover of Bodybuilder magazine. What was the total weight you did lose? Cuz that, you know, you document that a lot in your story. So what was the what yeah. was the total? So I from my highest point, which was so the majority of my 20s, because people see old pictures of me and they're like, you weren't obese. You were, mm-hmm. you know, chubby to fat, whatever you want to call it. And everybody has their own describing words. <laughs> but, you know, the majority of my 20s, I was anywhere from like 250 to 280 and I'm six feet tall. And then and then it was like towards my late 20s, I started creeping up to like 320, 330. Oh, and wow. then I peaked at 387 pounds. Oh my um, gosh. And what was that? Was it emotional? Was it just yeah. what do you think was the driving force behind it? You know, I my first addiction was definitely food mm-hmm. and you know, and just like a constantly it's something that I still struggle with and that I have to like check in with is, you know, there's like a part of me that really wants to be loved and to fit in and to feel like I'm part of something. And I really struggled with that growing up. You know, I always felt like the odd man out, even though I was surrounded by love. You know, there was something about like growing up and wanting to feel like one of the cool kids and one of the popular kids in school. Mm-hmm. And then moving to New York City and really wanting to be, you know, part of the gay community. And that was a struggle. Um, and not really feeling like I fit in um, with the I've gay heard that actually here. in the gay community in New York. It's very body conscious. It is. Well, and it's not yeah. just body conscious. It's, it's competitive. And I think it's changed a lot. I think it's gotten a lot better. I think there's been a lot of progress. Um, but, you know, when I moved here back in 2006... It was all about like what you do for a living, how mm-hmm. you look, uh, how much money you have, what kind of things you have. And listen, like I moved here poor. I was waiting tables at Planet Hollywood in Times oh, wow. Square. I, uh, you know, I was chubby. I didn't have anything. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't starring in anything. And so, you know, it was just kind of like this constant. And I became. Uh, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but you know, a truth, and I actually haven't really talked about this on a podcast, but in my Ooh, early twenties, it is an exclusive. I really struggled with lying. You know, I was, and not lying about vicious things, lying about things that were, um, that were really, um, just wanting to impress people, just wanting people to oh think God, that you I were, had, like you were ahead of, uh, Anna Delvi- Delvine's time. The girl who came here and said she was the Russian billionaire. Did you take off that Planet Hollywood uniform and start telling people you were like an oligarch from Russia? <laughs> no, no. But I would like tell people I would, I would, because back then um, it's so funny to look back on it now because I would, I, 
and I say this out of self-awareness, not of self-hate, mm-hmm. I never had enough talent to be on Broadway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, that, I, but I used to tell people that I was like, oh, I'm in final callbacks for this. And like, they're measuring me for the co-, You know what I mean? It's like yeah. when like I hadn't even made it through one round, let alone final rounds. Yeah. And sometimes just, you got to do, sometimes that stuff helps when you move to New York to an extent, like you got to have a little bit of a story, but I can see how it'd be easy to slip into that. Oh, yeah. For me, it was by the end, it was like I look back on it. It's still something I have a lot of shame around when I'm just like, oh, the stupid shit I used to say. Like, oh, I mean, you made it to a Bravo television show. So let's not be too hard on you, Mr. Whitman. But (laughs) that was listen, that was 14 years later. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this it's all the journey. So you hit 387. You're telling people you're Aladdin on Broadway, the musical, and you're just in a really It's hard to believe. (laughs) Like, that really is. That's quite the magic carpet. (laughs) We got some jet propulsion. Oh, my God, that's funny. Does a doctor tell you, like, dude, this is too much, or what's sort of your wake-up call? No, I... I remember actually going to get a physical, and I hadn't had a physical in forever. Because you don't have insurance, because it's the U.S., yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That whole thing. And I I got a physical and saw how much I weighed. I remember the doctor, she was actually very encouraging. And she's like, your blood work is actually really good. Mm -hmm. Your insides are going to, she's like, it's not going to stay that way if you stay this weight. Uh, she's like, but she's like, I think if you lose, if you lose weight and get down to a healthy number, she's like, you'll live the kind of life as if you were always thin. Oh, and I remember nice. that being encouraged. Cause in my yeah. head, I was like, I was like, I'm done for, I'm going to, I was like, I'm just not going to live a long time. I'm not going to have like a beautiful long life. And, um, and then I ended up going to a fish concert <laughs> Uh, that summer and was on a lot of hallucinogens and Mm -hmm. dancing and uh, like passed out like fainted and was just so embarrassed yeah and my best friend was there and sat down next to me and I remember just like sobbing into his shoulder and I was like I'm so tired I'm so tired of Mm -hmm. letting weight control my life and I was like as soon as we get back to the city I'm having weight loss surgery I was like and I'm handling this one Oh, you yeah. got the Kelly Osborne surgery. Yeah, and so okay. I had uh, I had the gastric sleeve at the end of 2015, and I lost 200 pounds across the next year. And can by I just the tell you thank you for coming clean on that because Kelly Osborne, I think, finally did. You know, Adele, I have my feelings on what happened there, and people are very quiet about it. And I think weight is like alcoholism, like all these different things that people don't really want to be open about. So I really appreciate your transparency and, you know, it's going to help other people. How do you afford that surgery? Well, so uh, it's so great that you asked that question because I had mm. no money at the time. And exactly. That's what I'm thinking. You don't have health insurance. How are you paying for elective surgery, right? I, so just, I had just gotten health insurance okay. and, uh, and I but I thought it was an elective surgery. I didn't think that health insurance covered it. But I ended up learning if your BMI was over 40, then mm-hmm. you were qualified for insurance to cover it. And, um, and so I remember it ended up costing me out of pocket $750 and insurance covered the rest. And Which I is had nothing to, s- to think of where that took you now, right? I know. But at the time, yeah. $750 was a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was so much money to me. And, uh, and so we, I, I scrounged it up over the course of a couple months and um, and it wiped me out at the time. I remember I was like, okay, like rent is going to be a struggle for the mm-hmm. next few months, but, but I really wanted it. And so, um, so what I did. What was the down period like? I've never actually talked to anybody about this. So if you don't mind going into it for a oh, few minutes, I'd love to learn more. So you get the surgery, but you're working as a waiter. So you really have to be on your feet. Probably don't have a ton of money saved at this point. So you're, you plan out maybe two weeks of recovery after the surgery or what does the experience look like? Well, by this time, I had transitioned into real estate. So I was doing real estate at this point. Um, And so there was like a crossover period from like 2006 to 2009 where I was doing both. And then by 2009, I was was really just barely making ends meet doing real Mm -hmm. estate. But that was when I was like kind of full-time doing real estate. Um, The downtime, so the recovery from the surgery, and I've had a lot of friends have the surgery now. It wasn't just me. It's almost painless. They do oh, the whole nice. thing through your belly button. The, the procedure takes like 45 minutes. Um, you're like a little uncomfortable the next day, but not excruciating. And I did it um, December 15th. 
And I was like, I guess I'm not going to go home for the holidays. Yeah. Um, and I remember like two days later, I went and saw a Broadway show. And like, I, it was like almost like I hadn't had surgery. And people kept seeing me and they were like, oh, did you cancel it? And I was like, no. I was like, I just yeah. feel fine. I, I found it to be very simple. And then right after, you don't drink partially because of that, I'm guessing. Because that's a big thing with that surgery, right? Like you can really hurt your, is it your kidneys really bad? Or your liver really badly? Yeah. So at the time I was not a big drinker. Um, I was, I felt like I was the kind of drinker who only drank like once a month mm-hmm. and I became an over drinker after I lost weight and got caught up in the social life and right. that, that life that I'd always like wanted that I had like hid from yeah. all of a sudden it got the best of me. And, um, you know, so at the time I wasn't really drinking that wasn't like a big issue for me, but the first six weeks are, uh, it's, you know, it's a huge adjustment because I'm used to eating endless piles of food. And then you get, you know, right after the surgery, like a boiled egg will do you like, you know, for the whole day, not for the whole day, but I mean, if for that, that would definitely be a very satisfying meal that would last you for many hours. Um, you know, do you feel the surgery start to break? Like, like two years in, do you feel your, like you eventually get back to par? Yeah. Yeah. So I can like, you know, now six years later, if I wanted to, it'd be very easy for me to gain all the weight back now, you know, because I can eat a pretty normal meal. Like if I'm Mm -hmm. out with friends, I don't even, you know, like if I'm directly asked about my weight loss journey, I'll bring up the surgery, but it's not like even part of my psyche anymore Mm. because it's just like this thing that I did that worked really well for me. It doesn't work well for everybody. I've also had some friends not lose the weight they wanted to lose. I've had some friends lose it all and then gain it all back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, everybody has different experiences. Well, thank you. Honestly, and Cake for Breakfast, we've never had that story shared. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that with us. And I don't want to take the whole interview up with that because I've got a lot <laughs> of real estate questions. But, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Um, and now you're good. Now you're just like handsomer than ever. You got your eight pack on, your two dogs, your big apartment. <laughs> life couldn't be better, right, Tyler? <laughs> I know. I know. Life is, life is very good these days. For life sure. is good. What neighborhood are you in now? Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea guy. Nice. Um, Okay. I want to talk real estate because like you said, it's like real estate porn. Did you see that video on SNL? I always talk about it on the show, the Zillow ad. Like was that not the greatest skit of like last year? (laughs) It was so good. Especially for people like me. Yeah. I'm in Gramercy Park, like nice area, bigger apartments, but still like we're all craving sort of that, that larger space. So what mm-hmm. is the best, this is all in your opinion, and it's like, you know, guys, Tyler is like a financial analyst, everyone has their own opinion, so his opinion could differ from others, this is like his thoughts. In your opinion, what is the best investment area in New York City right now for resale? I'm feeling really bullish on the Lower East Side right now. Um, Even you know, we flooding? saw. Yeah, yeah, I think, listen, the truth is that I'm not that worried about like natural disasters in the future of the city. I know I think it could happen anywhere, and I think that there's a lot of really exciting uh, development happening in the Lower East Side. I think of all, it's always had a cool, gritty vibe to it, um, but now there's a lot of money being spent down there. There's a lot of there's just a lot of things coming that aren't getting a ton of press right now, and mm-hmm. so I kind of feel like it's been a little bit of a secret. And because of that, there's a lot of really good opportunities. Uh, to be had Is it new for... builds down there? Is that what you're feeling? Like new builds well, going up? Well, there, there are some new builds going up that are beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And then also bringing in, um, you know, the market line is such a cool uh, development. It's open now. I think anybody who is interested in um, cool, funky food should go check it out. Um, the market and then, line. Yeah. Okay. And then and then it's going to be so the market line is open right now and then it's going to be three separate things and there's going to be like a flea market aspect to it and there's going to be a huge music venue underneath. And then they're doing the low line which is like their version of the high line. Mm-hmm. Um so it's going to be like this underground park. Um and I just think it's going to be really awesome. And we already saw like West Chelsea which is where I live now. I live right by the high line. Nice. Was when I first got Bougie into the industry. over there, a long ways from uh, Planet Hollywood, eh? <laughs> uh, but, um, but for 
when I when I got into the industry, nobody wanted to live over here. I couldn't make people come over here. And now it's some of the hottest real estate because the only thing whoever the publicist was for West Chelsea uh, <laughs> just needs to, just needs to get hired for Lower East Side. And I think it's going to happen organically pretty soon. And then yeah. I think it's going to be really hot. Um, there's just uh, I, I just think there's such a cool vibe down there. And um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that I think there's a huge upside, and there's also one thing that's here that's not going to be there. Is I mean, there is just so much that was built in West Chelsea, so there's a lot of inventory right now, and I don't think you're going to have the overwhelming amount of inventory in the Lower East Side that you see over here, which is a good thing. Like having scarcity is good for value. Is good. Now I have sort of opposing opinions on this. The pandemic. There was like that minute where the real estate sort of hit the ground for what, like 10 seconds? And is it, it feels like it's more expensive than ever or did it even ever hit the ground? Or was that just the PR lady from West Chelsea telling everyone that? Like what's more No, it hit the ground. It hit the ground. It was bad. It was really bad. For how long? Almost. So there was a very sudden change in January of 2021 where it did feel like it was an overnight bounce back. Mm -hmm. And and I, I wasn't expecting it. So 2020 was just a never-ending challenge. You know, I was pricing things really aggressively and really low and only getting a couple of showings. And then the offers were coming in way under what was already a lowball number to begin with as a price. And, and it was depressing. And were people just grabbing it? And, uh, so, so I wish, I mean, there were not that many buyers grabbing the opportunities and so the sellers had no choice if they really needed to sell, if they really needed to move and escape. They had no choice but to take some really depressing offers and walk away from a lot of money that they had put into these properties. You know, I saw many people take multi-million dollar hits on their on their investments. Yeah, like Jennifer Lawrence, mainly out of I saw fear. it. But yeah, Jennifer Lawrence sold her place for like, it was like $11 million home and she sold it for eight. And I was thinking like, she has enough cash to live in another place. Like, why would she take that lowball offer? That that always confused me. People that were doing stuff like that. I don't know. For I wasn't part of her transaction, but I also believe that she bought a much more expensive place after that. Yeah. And the discounts were across the board, and I did see that happen a lot, which I thought was smart. So if I had a client who was. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, I sold them a place for $6 million and they were looking to upgrade and they had always wanted this $10 million apartment. That $10 million apartment they can now get for 7 or $8 million. Oh, they were taking the hit, but then they were buying the discount. So it was a exactly. perfect trade almost. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, that makes I sense. I want to say she bought, I think Jennifer Lawrence bought like a $20 million apartment. Carriage kind of thing. One of those carriage yeah. houses. Yeah. yeah. I might be wrong on that, but I think No, no, she you're right. Like yeah, a, yeah. She definitely upgraded. One. Yeah. I remember seeing that though. And I was like, why would somebody like that take the, like, just sit out for a second, you know? Um, Okay, so you were the one to three million dollar man for a while, which I think is kind of the perfect price point for, I mean, I hate to say it, but that really is a first time buyer's price in New York City, is it not? Like, can you really get anything for under a million here that's useful? Uh, In all honesty. it depends. Yeah, you can actually. I mean, we sell. So on my team, we still sell a lot that's under a million. You know, I, I always say every dollar is green. So yeah. whatever your price range is, I'm happy to work with you. Give me a call. <laughs> but um, uh, we sell, you know, depending on what the person's needs are, you know, especially if your budget's under a million and you're looking for like a pied-a-terre in the city or you just want like a cute one bedroom, you're just getting started, you don't want to waste your money on rent. Um, I've also had a lot of clients come into a little money, not enough money to buy like an insane apartment, but enough where they're like, I can put down a nice down payment on an $800,000 one bedroom and Okay, and what are, are we talking expenses. like are we talking like Hell's Kitchen, a nice apartment for 1 million? You're not talking like Chelsea for 1 million for Oh, we so uh, during the pandemic on 16th between 7th and 8th, I sold a a gorgeous two bedroom with a roof deck for 925,000. Oh um God. and then on in the same building a few floors lower, we sold a really nicely renovated one bedroom for like 650,000. Um so no, you just you Some know people made you're not going to well. get a yeah, and you're not going to get like a doorman or anything like that, but you get like a nice, cute brownstone moment, which I Space. love that. Yeah, you know, it's um, uh, yeah, there's great homes out there under a million bucks. 
you're buying your first place, you're one to three million dollar zone, you have a husband, you have a kid, you maybe have a dog, you need space for you and your husband to live in this house. Where am I going in the city? If you want to stay in Manhattan, the best. I want to stay in Manhattan. I want to be in. An, I don't want to be like Hell's Kitchen. I don't want to be financial district. We have one to three million to spend. We need space. We have the kid. We have the dog. And my husband drives me crazy. Where am I living? You're probably going to go Upper East Side. Upper okay. East Side. You can still get a lot of value. Um, you know, the neighborhood offers a ton. There's great amenities. Now they've really increased their uh, their subway systems. And so it's much easier to commute now. Um, Upper East Side offers a great bang for the buck. One to th- Let's say your budget's like two to three. You mm-hmm. can get like a, a, a 2,000, 2,500 square foot home up there easily in that price range. Outdoor space too? Uh, yeah, actually, you could totally get outdoor space. Nice. And you got the park, so that's kind of a nice mm-hmm. a nice setup. One bedroom, single person in finance, who's your, as I figured out, sort of your fan base. Um, just a single guy, where am I buying? You want space, you want to show off to the ladies, that's your budget. And you, I think, and, and your budget's a million bucks? One to three. Because that's your One sweet th- spot on the show, right? Oh, One to three yeah. is sort of, that was where you came in, yeah. You get so if I'm a single guy and yeah. I want to like show off my budget's one to three, I'm going. I'm going location first. So I'd buy Flatiron. I would buy uh, Greenwich Village. I would even look West Village um, and get something like really pretty, really well done. But Flatiron is one of my favorite neighborhoods in the city. And if I had one to three million dollars to spend and I wanted to impress some people, I guarantee you that's where I'd end up. What about Nomad? Nomad is not for me exactly, but it's doing so well right now. It's actually, when you asked me where I thought was the best investment, it, my, I was torn. I was like, am I going to say Lower East Side or am I going to say Nomad? Nomad for me doesn't provide like the lifestyle that I'm looking for right now, but the buildings are gorgeous. The views are incredible. The proximity to like parks and especially for a lot of people who work in like the midtown banking life, like Mm -hmm. those, those people are like gobbling those up and loving it. So I can definitely get behind Nomad for a lot of people. It's just not where I want to live personally. (laughs) Here's my issue with Flatiron. There's no green space around it. It's, I mean, you got Madison Square Park ish there, but there's not a cell. You're not West Side Highway. You're not East. River, you're sort of just smack dab in the middle of the city is sort of the issue I take with it. I, I hear you. For me, the proximity of being able to like get around, and I just I really mm-hmm. love the architecture in the Flatiron yes. buildings. It's gorgeous lofts, um, and you could say it, it's kind of like Tribeca, but to me, and I love Tribeca. I sell a ton of Tribeca, um, but to me, Flatiron is a more central Tribeca. Now, oh, that's a good comp, actually. Totally, with the with the architecture, the design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. See, it's probably a little bit cheaper because you're not around green space or on the water. Now, most expensive area in the city by far is still Tribeca? Yeah, Tribeca yeah. West Village will always be like the two heavy West hitters Village, there for sure. I do not understand. It's so run down. The places are so small. I never get the West Village desire. <laughs> Oh my goodness! And I was loving you so much. <laughs> the West, uh, so owning a West Village townhouse is my billionaire dream. Totally. I okay. Would... West Village one bedroom apartment versus Sarah Jessica Parker's brownstone. Yes, I will take that any exactly. day. Exactly. <laughs> I need I need a twenty million dollar budget to enjoy it how I want to enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. But when I have that budget, that is exactly what I will enjoy. <laughs> exactly. Now you're moving into that ten million. You just did a big ten million dollar sale, correct? I've done, I've done a few on the, on the show yes. that probably is what you're referencing. We ended up closing for a little over 12 million actually. Congrats. Um, huge. Thank you. Thank now, you. Who are the people, what do people do for a living that can buy a $10 million place? That's not an investment banker. Like that's gotta be a guy who owns Reddit or Coinbase or something, right? So you'd be surprised. The majority of the people buying the luxury homes, the $10 million plus homes, are investment bankers. All right, um, girls, you, he- you heard it here first, so still a job in demand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That said, uh, a huge portion of my clientele is tech money, is entertainment people, um, you know, and, and you know, the, just generational wealth comes to New York as well. So people who have long, long family lines of money. Can you imagine um, that you like really turn well 30 here. and it's like, here's the 5 million. It's like, oh, thanks. I'll go buy my place now. <laughs> oh, 
uh, honey, I've seen way bigger numbers than five million. I've had, really? I've had, wow. oh yeah, I just had a client who inherited like a hundred forty million, who's in their late twenties and like, what? you know, buying. What's he buying? Uh, multiple things. Oh man, <laughs> we're doing we're doing a big one in the city and a big one in the Hamptons. It's um, you know, it's just. And it's interesting working with them. It's it's I've almost like adopted it as normal, right? Like because I, I it's just something I deal with left and right. I could He's tell you. He's probably looking at it as like I need to invest this money somewhere. What do I do? And you're like, let me show you. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's just when people inherit large sums of money um, and they don't want to piss it away. A very safe place to put it is in homes and real, is estate, in the real estate. You know, because We're, a it gives them a nice thing to enjoy, but it also just holds its value. Holds, the money yeah. doesn't go away. Exactly. Where do most of the celebrities live in the city? If you had to pick a neighborhood, I think mainly West Village. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a few buildings in the West Village that are pretty star studded. I mean, you've got 150 Charles, 160 Leroy. Um, you know, those buildings are a high percentage of everyone's uh, writing that a- down. I know, A-listers. Well, I mean, listen, you can also just Google it. And then there's a building uh, down the street from me, Walker Tower, um, which is also a very star-studded building. Lots of celebrities living there. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for the real estate deep dive. How do we work with you? We I'll put your email on the on the show notes and everything, but how do you take on clients? Like you're probably very selective of who you're working with. You know, so I have a I have a great team um, and we're very tight-knit. So everybody is dealing with me, but we take on We take on anybody who's serious about buying or selling. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't take on looky-loos. People who are just like dipping their toes in the water are typically not for us. Um, But people who are like, we are ready to make an investment or we're ready to unload an investment uh, and we're ready to do it now. Those are the people that we're working with at every price point. My dad just dropped 140 mil in my trust fund. What can we do, Tyler? You're like, sign on here. We're good to go. I know. I know. I'm like, let me give you my personal sell. Because <laughs> we need to talk. I've got a few ideas. Oh, my gosh. Um, you are so but much the best. <laughs> the best way to get in touch with me is just email, which is WT at triplemint.com. And do we have to be willing to spend above $1 million? Is that where we should no. sort of look? Okay. No. So, I mean, if you even look at the listings I have live right now, I mm-hmm. have uh, listings from 400000 all the way up to like thirteen or $14 million currently. Oh, my God. That is incredible. That's amazing. I mean, it, we have a large uh, finance audience that listens to this show, and we talk Bitcoin, Bitcoin all the time, guys, but real estate's really where it's at. How did you get onto the show, Million Dollar Listing? How did that come to be? You know, it was always something I like fantasized and dreamed about. I never thought it would happen for me. And I do very quirky video marketing. It's always been part of my brand and something mm-hmm. that I've always done. And the right person saw it one day and reached out and it happened very quickly. And the next thing I knew, I was the cameras were following me while I was at work. It was do crazy. You, do you get a lot of people that are like, I want to be on TV? Like, is that sort of you get those people coming to you and then you, pre- you present them to the show or how does that work? So, so I do uh, present, I, like I talk to the show about what, what stories I want followed. I'm like, you got to meet this buyer. You got to meet mm-hmm. this seller. Like they are funny and it's going to be good TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I'm doing the majority of that. I get the opposite more often of people hiring me and saying, I'm very private. I don't want this on TV. I don't want this on your social media. None of my biggest sales are ever talked about. I don't, I don't attach though, my right? name to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so I would actually say I more often get the opposite of what you just asked. Uh, what, what make is, sure I'm protected. Yeah, exactly. That's like yeah, that that goes that goes a long way. What are um, what are the most important things to look or what are the what are the most frequent questions you get from people that are first time buyers? Like what are the it, like my thing would be space, outdoor space, like a balcony or something, and light. Like what would you say are the the most requested sort of important things well, for someone to have? I would say you're going to make a good investment. I think the most important thing is natural light. Um, views in the city are great, but they're just, they're kind of, they almost are scary to some people because they're like, am I going to lose this? I'm paying for this. Are they going to go away? I almost wish that sometimes the apartment never had views to begin with. Oh, <laughs> and like you're saying no. like, will something overbuild on this kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. if you're looking, to me, like, I think it's so safe to put your money like facing a uh, like a quintessential tree-lined street, like overlooking the tree level, getting some beautiful natural light. 
what you don't want to face is a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, brick walls are, are, are value killers for sure. Um, and, and, you know, and people are really noise sensitive in the city. So if you can find something yes. that has a lot of natural light and a lot of peace and quiet, that is a safe place to put your money. So I definitely encourage those things. Um, you know, but outdoor space, the nice thing about outdoor space is there's always going to be a limited supply mm-hmm. and scarcity is always good for value, as I said earlier, and outdoor space is definitely going to uh, give you that on a silver platter. So where do you go from here? What's the next, where does Mr. Whitman go next? Are you going to reapproach Broadway at some point? You know, I, listen, if Broadway reapproaches me, I think yeah. it might be from like the, the stunt casting and I'd totally be down for that. Um, the the thing that I'm focused on most now is expanding my business into other markets. You know, so right now we're in Manhattan and Brooklyn. I launched in the Hamptons last year. Oh, congrats! And what what areas are you selling out there? Mainly, so I my house is in Sag Harbor. We're mainly doing You've Sag got a Harbor house out there too. Oh, oh yeah, this guy just, just yeah. got it together. <laughs> I um, love Sag Harbor. It's 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 such a beautiful escape. It's like yeah. my place to just go wind down and be myself. And um, but we mainly sell Montauk is actually where we sell the most because my two agents out there live in Montauk full time and they like know everybody there and that's where the majority of our business is. Yeah. But Montauk, East Hampton, Sag Harbor are three prime, but we also do a lot of Bridgehampton and Amagansett and Wayne Scott and yeah. Yeah, we don't really go to South. <laughs> like, yeah, South is kind of over, isn't it? It's all those like it's really old money out there, but there's not a lot of restrictions or there's yeah, there's not a lot of restrictions which keeps it. Well, it's just not where our, for us, it's just not where our clientele has yeah. mainly been. We've done, we've definitely done a few sales there, but it's not where we're dominating by any means. Yeah, my friend said she was looking at a place out there, and she could have blown, and the house would have come down like it was just on its last sort of legs. But, but that's yeah. where like the old, old Vanderbilt, like Rockefeller kind of money and stuff is, isn't it? Yeah, like, you know, you can get, like, a house from the 80s that was put together with, like, spit and glue, and, like, a lot of them are, are about to crumble. you got to be careful. And what about L.A.? Any interest in heading out west? This is the type of clients you work with sound very, like, bi-coastal people. No. I don't no. like So my, my litmus test for where, where I'll expand is I have to be obsessed with the city. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not obsessed with the city, then I will just refer my business there. And I have great referral partners in Los Angeles that I do tremendous business with. But personally, I'm not in love with Los Angeles, so I have no desire to build my own brand there. Uh, San Francisco, I'd be down for. Um, Palm Beach, because uh, I'm in like the, the horse world and the horse circuit is huge down there. So oh, I would cool. love to be part of like the Palm Beach cycle. Yeah, I think Atlanta will probably be my next expansion. Uh, New Orleans, Denver, Austin. I want to be in like cool, like secondary yeah. luxury markets. The Austin market is just popping. Insanity. Off. It's in, like I saw a house by a fake lake for 8 million. I was like, wow, that is like something else right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time today. I want you to come back again and talk more to us about real estate because I've just, I had a lot of questions and I really enjoyed having you on the show today. So thank you. Oh my God. I love you. Thank you for having me on. This was so fun. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. I have way more listeners than I do reviews and I would really love to get that number up. So if you have a couple minutes, I'd really, really appreciate just a quick review. It'll take you two seconds, and by doing that, you give back to the show as well. And I always appreciate when people share the show with friends. Thank you so much, you guys, and I look forward to seeing you next Thursday.